there are some questions among a lot of people about what happens when we die in regards to the afterlife. Some believe that there is absolutely nothing that happens, that we simply just cease to exist anymore. There are some that believe that we take something considered to be a soul sleep uh, for a certain amount of time. Some, of course, throughout the world believe that we are reincarnated into something else based off of our good deeds or bad deeds here in the world, in this life. But you know what? The Bible is not quiet about what happens to us. Um, once we have died. It, it, it is not silent at all on the issue of the afterlife. The Bible speaks, Jesus himself speaks, of what we can expect, what everybody can expect who will believe um, God's word is read to us as seen in the Bible. And this morning we're going to come to a, a passage. Um, man, it is, it is just some heavy, heavy stuff. I mean, this is a very intense teaching that Jesus gives us on what happens when we die. And I hope as I read this to you this morning, and as you're following along in your own Bible or tablet, um, I hope this morning that we'll just be able to read this slowly and be able to truly just soak up what Jesus is saying, because there's a message here for both the lost and the found. There is really something in here this morning, I believe for each of us, as we look at eternity in regards to reward or regret. So in chapter 16, let's start looking together in verse number 19. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. It's been said that Jesus spoke of hell more often than heaven, and that Jesus even spoke of hell more often than many of the other topics that we would think of in the Bible. Now, I haven't researched all that. That's just what someone or several other folks had said. 
But here in this story, as Jesus is addressing and using this story to rebuke the religious leaders of the day, he highlights, I mean, he outlines this graphic account of what happens to two different people. He takes two different people. This one rich man who is nameless and another man named Lazarus who is poor and sick and hungry. And Lazarus's name means God is help. And yet we don't even know the rich man's name. And these two different people with two very different lives both die. It's the one thing they both had in common. The only thing really that they had in common is that they both died. And when they died, they both went to very different locations, very different eternal destinations. I told you before that God has placed within us as human beings, the pinnacle of his creation, he has placed within each one of us an eternal soul. I talked about this in the very first series, in the very first message in this series, that we were made for eternity. And since each of us has within us an eternal soul, there are only two places in which those eternal souls can reside. There are only two places that are capable of housing an eternal soul, and that is heaven and hell. And here in this story, Jesus is outlining and making incredibly crystal clear what these two different outcomes look like. Now, even though it is clear, even though there's a lot of information given to us in this, there are still many things that we don't know in regards to eternity. But the basics are here. I want you to see there are several things, three things, actually, I want us to be able to draw from this story this morning as it relates to eternity and as it relates to our relationship to eternity. The first thing is this. Eternity reveals things as they truly are. Now, think about this for a minute. Eternity reveals things as they truly are. Our eternal destiny is the response of God's judgment. Okay? We are, let me, let me say it like this, when I die, when my heart stops beating, when I breathe my last, I have that confidence as a child of God, as a born-again believer, that the moment my tent, this body, folds up, the moment it is done, my soul goes to be with the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment. I get to spend eternity at that moment with Jesus Christ. Now, if someone is a non-believer, has never been born again, that moment that they die, they stand in judgment and they will immediately be entered into their eternal destiny of hell and torments. Immediately, what a moment just like that. In the blink of an eye, the moment they are dead, that soul goes to that eternal place. But in this story, what I want you to be able to see is that this, these eternal destinies, based off of their sins or salvation, as it were, it revealed who they truly were. Look at how different it was. Look at how human perception would have viewed these two men differently, at least in the day, at least then, maybe even now. You had one guy who was rich. He got to eat all of the fine foods. He got to live in the finest of places. And we know it's a fine place because it had a gate. He got to have all of the luxuries of life. He got to have all of the great things. And we would look at that man or be tempted to look at that man with all of his great possessions, with all of the wonderful things that he had, with all of the wealth and all the, all the things that he had accumulated, we would probably look at that man and say, wow, he's blessed by God. I'll tell you, 
They did in Jesus' day. They looked at that man as a man who was walking in the literal blessings of God. And then on the other side of that spectrum, you have Lazarus, this poor man, desiring to be fed with even the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. What it's saying is Lazarus was starving. And here he is laying outside of the rich man's gate, just wanting food, begging for food. He's sick and he has sores all over his body. And the only person, the only thing that will befriend him is a dog. And that is only simply to lick his wounds. Friends, you could not get two men further apart on this scale of blessings in the eyes of the Jews of that day. They would have looked at the rich man and said, there he goes, walking in the blessings of God. And they would have looked at Lazarus, who God is his help, sitting at the gate, being licked by the dogs. They would have looked at him and said, oh, my word, what did he or his parents do that would make God so angry with him? One appeared to be walking in the very blessings of God, while one appeared to be abandoned by God or living under the judgment of God. But yet, But yet, when both of those men shed their tents, shed this flesh and walked into eternity, everything was flipped on its head. Think about the differences for just a moment. Lazarus was poor. Didn't have a thing to his name. But yet he gets exalted to a great place. In heaven, being literally held in the arms of Abraham, which would have been no greater place for a Jew in that day. He is literally, if you want a blessing in, in the minds of the Jews of that day, there would have been no greater patriarch than Abraham, the father of the faithful. And here, this poor, sick, hungry, broke beggar is now carried and put in the arms of Abraham, the greatest of all patriarchs in the Jewish custom. And yet now you've got this man down here who was rich and appeared to be walking in the blessings of God immediately, immediately. He descends to this place of torments. Guys, if you think that the fire is the worst of the torments, let me remind you that it doesn't say he is in torment. He is in torments. There are many sources of torments that this man is going through experiencing in that moment he is literally feeling them no doubt in verse 24 there's a physical torment the pain of the flames that he is experiencing in his life at verse 25 could very well be the greatest of all the torments that this man is experiencing when abraham said son remember in your lifetime remember what you had it wasn't just a physical torment. There was a mental torment that this guy would have all eternity to look back and to roll over all of those missed opportunities. For Lazarus, it was indeed a reward for the rich man. It was a regret and the greatest of all regrets. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that none so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass there. He was alone. 
He wasn't partying with his friends. He wasn't hanging out. He was alone. It was a physical hell, a mental hell, a social hell. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father Abraham, that you would send him to my father's house. Once he realizes that the key has been thrown away. Once he realizes that door has been shut and he's never going to leave that place. Immediately. His heart breaks for his brothers. Those who are still alive who still have an opportunity to receive the gospel. His heart breaks because he knows they're going down the same path as him. Oh, Father Abraham, I beg you, send Lazarus that he may testify because I have five brothers. That rich man knew, regretted, As he looked back over, there was physical, mental, social, relational, and emotional torment in this man's life. Go back to the rich man Lazarus for a moment. Isn't it ironic that Lazarus' name is given, but the rich man's is not? Lazarus' name, of course, means God is help. It gives us a better understanding of how he lived his life. Even though nobody else would help him, he trusted that God helped him. Yet the rich man is not named. It's kind of interesting that this man who you would have thought would have been so blessed and so prominent, his name is not given in this story. You see, guys, one of the biggest questions that I get as a minister, and it doesn't matter if it's something... Um, that someone is talking with me about in the hallways or stops in the office through the week, makes an appointment, wants to talk to me about, or just when people find out that I'm a minister, oftentimes they'll bring up this question, and it's a serious question, guys. I mean, it is a big question, and it has hurt a lot of people, and it's caused a lot of scars and a lot of pain, and people have carried a lot of burdens because they haven't been able to answer this question. If God is so good, then why does He allow bad things to happen? You ever heard that question before? You ever wrestled with that question before? If God is so good, as the Bible says, if if you as a preacher tell me that God is good, then why in the world do bad things happen? And in our mind, we may think, okay, I could understand a little bit if bad things happen to bad people. We might be able to justify that, but when we think of somebody being good, Somebody may be living their life for the Lord, doing their very best to walk in accordance to His will, making Him their great desire in life, and yet something bad happens to them. We often want to say, well, wait a second, God. If I can't trust you here, what makes me be able to trust your character anywhere else? And we stumble over that. We wrestle with that question. Well, if God is good, then why does this happen? Let me tell you something. And this may not answer the question, but I think it'll help give us a little bit better perspective. Lazarus' name was God as help. We can derive from that that he trusted God. And yet he lived a horrible life, starving to death, sick, friendless. If you think about it, all the basic elements of life were robbed from him. And yet, when he died, And he stepped into eternity. He was blessed. We learn 
in 1 Samuel chapter 16. That God does not look at the outward appearance as we do. God looks at the heart. For those of you that say, if God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen? When we start thinking that, when I start thinking that, I have to realize that I have grown incredibly short-sighted. That I'm only now looking and focusing on the here and now. You see, guys, here's the truth about eternity. Since eternity is the response of the righteous judgment of God, I can say then that eternity is the writer of wrongs. Think about this. If eternity is the ultimate response of God's righteous judgment, I stand in heaven not because of my good works, but because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and starting a faith relationship with Him as Savior and Lord. I get to go into heaven. And you know what? As a believer down here, I struggle. As a believer down here, I wrestle with things. As a believer down here, sometimes life stinks. But you know what? As a believer, as I showed you before, I'm only here for this amount of time while I get to spend eternity with God in heaven. Even though I struggle and we hurt and we have questions and bad things happen down here, when I get to heaven as a believer, it's all going to be made right. You say, well, I'm doing what's right, and yet it's still so difficult. Let me tell you, do not lose sight of eternity in your perspective. Yes, things stink down here. Yes, this world is messed up. Yes, sometimes you are, you are, you are affected by your sins or the sins of somebody else's. You get jacked up down here. There's no lie. We all do. But eternity is where the wrongs are righted. Eternity is where the low places are made high and the mountains are leveled. Eternity is where those who are exalted in this life are humbled and those who are poor and scraping by are exalted. Eternity is the rider of wrongs. There are going to be those here who have, by wealth and possessions, living a life separated from God. We may look at them like David did in the Psalms and say, God, why are the wicked prospering? Friends, eternity is the writer of wrongs. All of your sacrifice, all of your faithful service that may have gone unnoticed down here, that may have gone unappreciated down here, will be rewarded in eternity. And those that have lived a life separate from God, disregarding His word, unconcerned with His will, never beginning, never having a relationship with His Son, you may look at them and say, wow, they have it all. No, they don't. What they are lacking is the most important thing, and it will be righted in eternity. Eternity reveals things as they truly are. Eternity is the great leveler. If you think about it, eternity is the consummation or the fulfillment of the Beatitudes in the beginning of chapter 5 of Matthew. Eternity is the fulfillment of the blesseds in chapter 5. I want you to see the second thing quickly. Eternity is immediate. Lazarus dies and is carried immediately by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies and is in torments. You ought to go up to Vance Washburn. Vance, raise your hand, would you please? 
There's Vance back there in the corner in Washburnville. You guys need to go up to Vance sometime and ask him about a man who impacted his life greatly. He will tell you a story of a great soul winner whose final opportunity to win someone's soul left an indelible mark on Vance's life and no doubt on the lady in whom he was ministering to. It's a fascinating story. If you get a chance, ask Vance about it. I know he'd love to tell you. But think about this for a moment. Let's soak this up. You and I, you and I, right now, are one heartbeat away from eternity. One heartbeat away from eternity. That's an awesome thing to think of, isn't it? You know, you hear people say all the time, well, why don't we live like Jesus is right here with us? Why don't we live like Jesus is standing right beside me? You've probably heard that before. You've probably heard people say that I don't want to go in there because I don't want to be found there when Jesus comes back. How about this? What if we lived as though every decision that we were one heartbeat away from God? Maybe not necessarily him just standing right here beside us because, friends, he's inside of us. He's closer than beside us. He's in us. What if we lived and made our decisions based off of the fact that I'm one heartbeat away from standing before him? Man, how would that change things? How would that alter things? Do you notice the difference in how these men were buried? Well, the rich man was buried, and then Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Let me read to you what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. He says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8, We are confident, yet rather well pleased, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may gain in our body the things done that either are good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well-known to God, and I trust are also well-known to you. He was saying, because I know that I'm going to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, I make it my goal. It is my aim in life to be well-pleasing to God. I'm making my decisions off of that fact that I am just one heartbeat. I am just one missed breath away from standing before God. Eternity reveals things as they truly are. Eternity is immediate. And notice this third and final thing. Eternity, this is probably the most chilling of all, it is both the most chilling and the most exciting of all is that, is that eternity is final and permanent. It is thrilling for the believer. When Paul was writing about the rapture of the church to the Thessalonian believers, when he spoke of that moment as the believers who are here on earth that are caught up together with them in the clouds. That means the ones who have died and their, their soul is now met back up with the new body and they're raised back up to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we go up and we're caught up together with them in the clouds. The apostle ends that teaching by saying, thus we shall always be with the Lord. Think about this, believers. There'll never be a moment that you'll ever be kicked out of heaven. I don't care what jokes a deacon has told you through your life. You're not ever going to be kicked out of heaven. Ever. You're going to be there 
forever. But just as exciting as that is, just as a coin has two sides and both are valid, I think the other side of that is just chilling, sobering. That not only does it reveal who I really am, not only is it immediate, but it's final and permanent. Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Can't do that. Because there's a great goal fixed between us and you. So that they that would pass from here to you cannot, nor can they pass from there to us. It's permanent. It's final. I I wrestle with that. Guys, this is why we struggle sometimes. God is both holy and loving. Those are two very basic elements of his nature. When we look at this idea of hell, horrible as it is, we start to think, well, certainly God would not really mean that hell is forever. Certainly it's just a scare tactic. Nope, not according to Luke 16. You know, here's the reason. Hell is punitive, not rehabilitative. Let me say that one more time. Hell is punitive, not rehabilitative. The purpose for hell is to punish sin. Punitive. The sole purpose for that location is to execute ultimate judgment on the sin of the world. It is what we deserve because of our sin. You want to see how bad sin is? Look at hell. That is an appropriate place, God deems, who is righteous and just. It is an appropriate place for the ultimate execution and fulfillment of the judgment for our sins. That's how God sees sin. That's how bad it is. That is his holy nature. If he is holy, he must judge sin. He must do righteously. So this place, hell, has been set up for the devil and his angels ultimately to exact ultimate retribution, punishment for the sins of the world. But you say, where is God's love? His love, his basic element of his nature, along with his holiness, is demonstrated in that he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you look at hell, and guys, let me tell you something. If God was to pull back just a corner of that place and let us see just a fraction of the horrors contained within it, we would not just want to think we're saved, we would want to know we're saved. We would probably speak the same words of the rich man as he said, Oh, Father Abraham, I beg you, send somebody to my brothers and sisters, lest they come to this place of torment. Guys, we would be running out of here with our tails on fire. Warning people not to come to this place. If you look at hell and you say, how could a loving God do that? 
I would tell you to look to the cross. You look to the cross. And I would ask you, how could a loving God do that? Just as horrible as hell is. is equally amazing that God would send His Son who knew no sin. (laughs) And then He would put Him on that cross to die in my place. Not off any good thing I did, but all off of what He did. And charge me nothing for it except His Son. Yes, hell is awful. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is even more beautiful. Both heaven and hell represent both the love and the holiness of God equally displayed. Why? Let me end with this. I can't think of a topic that is more serious for our attention than that of eternity. And especially that of eternal hell. And many of you have heard this story before. I know that there was no necessarily new news in here for you. But just as awesome as this verse is, let me remind you of something. Do you know why Jesus told this story? We know that He did, but do you know why? What was the purpose of sharing it. Look back at chapter 16, verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things. And they derided him, or they turned up their nose at him. Okay? He was teaching on money and stewardship. They were disregarding his words. Here's that that idea of money and worldliness stepping into the way to distract us. But verse 15, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Why did he tell the story of a rich man who seemed to have the very blessings of God and yet in a moment immediately went into an eternal torment in which he would never escape? Why did Jesus tell a story of a man who seemed to be void of the presence of God and the blessings of God on his life, who seemed to be so distant from the favor of God, and yet the moment he died, he went into heaven? It's because we tend to justify ourselves before men. But God sees our heart. This morning... I want to ask you a really important question. Each day, you and I are being funneled down to the end of our earthly existence. Each minute, each hour, each day, each month, each year brings us one step closer to the end, which is a new beginning. Friend, right now, today, do you know you know where you will spend 